European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 44, Issue 15. Focus Issue, Interventional Cardiology, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Persistent Challenges Following Percutaneous Interventions Paravalvular Regurgitation, Instent Restenosis, and Antiplatelet Treatment-Related Bleeding. This focus issue on interventional cardiology contains the special article Overcoming Professional Barriers Encountered by Women in Interventional Cardiology, an EAPCI Statement, by Jill Buchanan and colleagues from the North Cumbria Integrated Care NHS Foundation Trust in Carlisle, United Kingdom. We are witnessing growing interest in sex-related inequalities regarding not only health issues, but also leadership in academic institutions and scientific societies. The authors point out that despite the increasing proportion of female medical and nursing students, there is still a significant underrepresentation of women working as healthcare providers in interventional cardiology, with very few of them reaching senior leadership, academic positions, or acting principal investigators, as well as very few actively involved in company advisory boards. In this position paper, the authors describe the current status of women working in interventional cardiology across Europe. They also provide an overview of the most relevant determinants of the underrepresentation of women at each stage of the interventional cardiology career path and offer practical suggestions for overcoming these challenges. The issue continues with a second special article entitled Renal Denovation in the Management of Hypertension in Adults, a clinical consensus statement of the ESC Council on Hypertension and the European Association of Percutaneous Cardiovascular Interventions, or EAPCI, by Emmanuel Barbato and colleagues from the Sapienza University in Rome, Italy. Optimal treatment of hypertension is a pillar of cardiovascular, or CV, prevention. The authors note that since the publication of the 2018 European Society of Cardiology Stroke European Society of Hypertension or ESC Stroke ESH guidelines for the management of arterial hypertension, several high-quality studies, including randomized sham controlled trials on catheter-based renal denervation or RDN, have been published, confirming both blood pressure or BP lowering efficacy and safety of radiofrequency and ultrasound RDN in a broad range of patients with hypertension, including resistant hypertension. A clinical consensus document by the ESC Council on Hypertension and the European Association of Percutaneous Cardiovascular Interventions, or EAPCI, on RDN in the management of hypertension was considered necessary to inform clinical practice. This expert group proposes that RDN is an adjunct treatment option in uncontrolled resistant hypertension, confirmed by ambulatory BP measurements, despite best efforts at lifestyle and pharmacological interventions. RDN may also be used in patients who are unable to tolerate antihypertensive medications in the long term. 
A shared decision-making process is a key feature and preferably includes a patient who is well informed on the benefits and limitations of the procedure. The decision-making process should take 1. The patient's global CV risk and or 2. The presence of hypertension-mediated organ damage or CV complications into account. Multidisciplinary hypertension teams involving hypertension experts and interventionalists evaluate the indication and facilitate the RDN procedure. Interventionalists require expertise in renal interventions and specific training in RDN procedures. Centres performing these procedures require the skills and resources to deal with potential complications. Future research is needed to address open questions and investigate the impact of BP lowering with RDN on clinical outcomes and potential clinical indications beyond hypertension. Transcatheter aortic valve implantation, or TAVI, is changing our approach to severe aortic stenosis. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Treatment of Late Paravalvular Regurgitation After Transcatheter Aortic Valve Implantation Prognostic Implications Yuri Landes and colleagues from the Tel Aviv University in Israel investigated the effect of transcatheter interventions to treat paravalvular regurgitation, or PVR, after the index TAVI. Consecutive patients who underwent transcatheter interventions for greater than or equal to moderate PVR after the index TAVI were enrolled at 22 centres. Principal outcomes were residual aortic regurgitation, or AR, and mortality at one year after PVR treatment. A total of 201 patients were identified. 43% underwent redo TAVI, 39% plug closure, and 18% balloon valvuloplasty. Median TAVI to re-intervention time was 207 days. The failed valve was self-expanding in 64% of patients. At 30 days, AR greater than or equal to moderate persisted in 17% of patients, 9.9% after redo TAVI, 26% after plug, and 22% after valvuloplasty. P equaling 0.036. Overall mortality was similar after redo TAVI, plug and valvuloplasty. Regardless of treatment strategy, patients in whom AR was reduced to less than or equal to mild had lower mortality at one year compared with those with AR persisting greater than or equal to moderate, 8% versus 21%, P being less than 0.007. The authors conclude that their study describes the efficacy of transcatheter treatments for PVR after TAVI. Patients in whom PVR is successfully reduced have better prognosis. The selection of patients and optimal PVR treatment modality require further investigation. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Catherine Otto and Christine Chung from the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington, USA. Chung and Otto note that one interesting finding from this study is that redo TAVI was often effective at reducing PVR, suggesting that valve undersizing, underexpansion and or malpositioning probably contributed to the presence of PVR in these cases. 
Another striking finding is that two-thirds of the cohort were female, which is not the case for the broader population of patients undergoing TAVI. The observation of a majority female cohort, the majority of whom received a self-expanding valve, proceeding to have moderate or greater PVR, raises the question of whether there is a greater propensity for this unfavourable outcome to occur in smaller annuli. The best interventional strategy for the treatment of drug-eluting stent, or DES, in-stent restenosis, or ISR, is unclear, and no data from randomised trials beyond three-year follow-up are available. In a clinical research article entitled Coronary Artery Restenosis Treatment with Plain Balloon, Drug-Coated Balloon, or Drug-Eluting Stent. Ten-year outcomes of the ISAR DESIRE 3 trial. Daniela Giacopo and colleagues from the Technische Universität München in Germany aim to define the ten-year comparative efficacy and safety of Plain Balloon, or PB, Paclitaxel Coated Balloon, or PCB, and Paclitaxel Eluting Stent, or PES, for percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, of DES-ISR. Clinical follow-up of patients randomly assigned to PB, PCB and PES in the ISAR DESIRE 3 trial was extended to 10 years and events were independently adjudicated. The primary endpoint was a composite of cardiac death, target vessel myocardial infarction, target lesion thrombosis, and target lesion revascularization. Primary results were further assessed by landmark, lesion level, per protocol, and competing risk analyses. A total of 402 patients with 500 lesions with DESISR were randomly assigned to PB angioplasty, PCB angioplasty, and PES implantation. At 10 years, the primary composite endpoint occurred in 72% assigned to PB, 56% assigned to PCB, and 62% assigned to PES, P being less than 0.001. The pairwise comparison between PCB and PES resulted in a non-significant difference. At landmark analyses, an excess of death and cardiac death associated with PES compared with PCB was observed within five years after PCI, though 10-year differences did not formally reach the threshold of statistical significance after adjustment for multiplicity. Competing risk regression confirmed a non-significant difference in target lesion revascularization between PCB and PES and showed an increased risk of death associated with PES compared with PCB. Jacopo et al. conclude that 10 years after PCI for DES-ISR, the primary and major secondary endpoints between PCB and PES were not significantly different. However, an excess of death and cardiac death within five years associated with PES and the results of the competing risk analysis are challenging to interpret and warrant further analysis. PES and PCB significantly reduced target lesion revascularization compared with PB. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Alaida Kifo and Domitila Gentile from the IRCCS San Raffaella Scientific Institute in Milan, Italy, and Mario Iannacone from the San Giovanni Bosco Hospital in Turin, Italy.
The authors conclude that the long-term results of the ISAR DESIRE 3 trial may be considered as a milestone in the treatment of ISR with drug-coated balloons, or DCBs. Yet further studies are needed to evaluate the role of DCBs in different clinical subsets and lesion anatomies. Dual antiplatelet therapy, or DAPT, with aspirin and a potent P2Y12 inhibitor, is the standard treatment for patients with acute coronary syndrome, or ACS, undergoing PCI. In a clinical research article entitled Dual Antiplatelet Therapy De-Escalation in Acute Coronary Syndrome, an Individual Patient Meta-Analysis, Ji-Hoon Kang and colleagues from the Seoul National University College of Medicine in the Republic of Korea point out that de-escalation of the potent P2Y12 inhibitor is an appealing concept to balance the ischemic and bleeding risk after PCI. An individual patient data meta-analysis was performed to compare de-escalation versus standard DAPT in patients with ACS. Electronic databases including PubMed, Embase and the Cochrane database were searched to identify randomized clinical trials or RCTs comparing the de-escalation strategy with the standard DAPT after PCI in patients with ACS. Individual patient-level data were collected from the relevant trials. The co-primary endpoints of interest were the ischemic composite endpoint, composite of cardiac death, myocardial infarction, and cerebrovascular events, and bleeding endpoint, including any bleeding, at one year post-PCI. Four RCTs, the Tropical ACS, Popular Genetics, Host-Reduced Polytech ACS, and the TALOS AMI trials, comprising 10,133 patients, were analysed. Ischemic endpoint was significantly lower in the patients assigned to the de-escalation strategy than those assigned to the standard strategy, 2.3% versus 3% hazard ratio, or HR 0.761, log rank P equaling 0.029. Bleeding was also significantly lower in the de-escalation strategy group, 6.5% versus 9.1%, HR 0.701, log rank P being less than 0.001. No significant intergroup differences were observed in terms of all-cause death and major bleeding events. The subgroup analyses revealed that compared with guided de-escalation, unguided de-escalation had a significantly larger impact on bleeding endpoint reduction, P for interaction equaling 0.007, no intergroup differences were observed for the ischemic endpoints. The authors conclude that in this individual patient data meta-analysis, DAP-based de-escalation is associated with a decrease in both ischemic and bleeding endpoints. Reduction in bleeding endpoints is more prominent in the unguided than the guided de-escalation strategy. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Adnan Kastrati and Jin Nedrepepa from the Technische Universität München in Germany. The authors conclude that antiplatelet de-escalation strategies still remain the subject of intense clinical research. Yet, DAPT de-escalation strategies, such as those assessed in the meta-analysis by Kang et al., are poised to offer a valuable option of modulated platelet inhibition in patients with ACS, 
especially in consideration of the lack of specificity of current bleeding risk scores. The issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a commentary entitled, Prednisone for Inflammatory Cardiomyopathy, More Than Just an Immunosuppressive Agent. Zhao Liu and colleagues from the Hebei Medical University in China comment on the recent publication, Immunosuppressive Therapy in Virus-Negative Inflammatory Cardiomyopathy, 20-Year Follow-Up of the TIMIC Trial by Andrea Frustacci and colleagues from the Sapienza University in Rome, Italy. Frustacci et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.